Romans 5, verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Lord, thank you so much that you are a God that meets us where we are at. Lord, that while we were still far from you, you came near. Lord Jesus, thank you that you looked down on our lives and you said that there was worth and value there. Lord, that you said that there was purpose and a future. God, this morning, you meet us where we are. Lord Jesus, and I pray that, that as we go into a time of teaching that you would meet us where we are. Lord, in our frailties, in the ways that we fail, in the ways that we don't look like you all the time, Lord, I pray that you would meet us there. Lord, and, and by a work of your grace, Lord, by a work of your Holy Spirit, that, that we would be able to move continuously to reflect you more than us. God, to reflect your gracious love more than our failures. Lord, to reflect more of who you are and your truth. More of that and less and less of our selfishness. Lord Jesus, we trust you this morning. No matter how difficult it is to trust you, we trust you. And help us to rally around your name and find encouragement and challenges to become more and more like you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning. If I have not met you yet, my name is Lindsay. I am the lead pastor here. I am responsible for these weirdos, so sorry if anything has happened between now and then, you know. Uh, but good morning. Last week, we did a wonderful sermon illustration, and my friend Dale smashed two eggs, not one, but two eggs on his face. And I'm sorry to say, but I have no eggs this morning. Um, but I figured such a good illustration, that could probably last for two, right? Uh, so, so we're just going to jump in this morning, and I'm going to suggest something that maybe you already know. And I'm going to suggest that since the beginning of time, we have been lied to. Uh, since the beginning of time, uh, there has been something among us that has seemed almost true, but really isn't. And this happens at the beginning of everything. In Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, where first original sin is introduced. Uh, where Adam and Eve are in the garden, and by some horrible act, a serpent seduces them into taking some fruit from the one tree Jesus, God said, don't take fruit from that tree. And we pick it up today in verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, 
and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How cool is that? Like, God was just walking in the garden. How, how awesome would it be to hear his footsteps? And it says, And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the answer would be yes. See, I would argue that since the beginning of time, we have not only been lied to, but we have lied to one another. Uh, We have, uh, I find it very interesting that the first question God asks of Adam is, who told you that? Where did you get that? How did you hear that? And I would argue that there are certain phrases and beliefs that the capital C church has held to. That if we were to hold those up to scripture, God might say the same thing. Who told you that? And so this morning we are starting a new sermon series called, Who Told You That? And we're going to be looking at some of these lies, these old, tired lies, that like an old TV just need to be getting rid of. So I like to start every series with a prayer. So if you'd pray with me as we start this series together, Lord, you know exactly the things that you want to teach us. Lord, you know the seasons of life that we are all in. Lord, you know who our neighbors are, who our coworkers are. Lord, you know who our family is. Jesus, and in that context, I pray that you would bring to life these truths. Lord, that we would be able to retire some things that just aren't right and that just aren't truth. God, and that we might be able to live free because of that. God, we commit this series to you and we ask that you would move in it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first lie that we are going to deal with today is first things first. I need to get my life together to be at church. And in a lot of ways, like, we would probably read that and say, nobody believes that, we're all good people, Uh, that's not us, you know. But I would argue that there's a certain part of us that maybe still holds to that belief, uh, that we have to have our lives together in order to be here. Uh, We see it because it's like the second lesson you learn when you become a part of a church, you know, how to fake it really well when you hit the threshold. You know, uh, we walk in, and everybody's smiling, everybody's well-mannered, nobody cusses. Uh, Biblical uh, illustrations, they just flow naturally. Everybody, you know, you might be going through a hard time, but it's not that bad, because we're at church, and we got our church game face on. And and I would say that that this nurtures an emotion through our church where We are not authentic people. Uh, We come into this building and we say, yeah, God's good, life's good, we're all good, it's fine, it's good, you know? And and, uh, Kent Hughes, he says something about this. He says, the church 
can easily become a self-righteous subculture with no room for sympathy for sinners. Man, I don't know about you, I would never want to be a part of a church like that. Like, we're a part of a holiness denomination where we believe that you can become closer and closer to being like Jesus, okay? And so what that means practically is that God gets to go through your closets and find all of the junk and all of the ways that you don't look like him. And I would hate to come to a church and think that I was going to be looked down on because he's going through that process with me, right? And yet we do it. So the lie is that once you hit the threshold, we smile, and we have life together. And my goal today is to debunk that lie, and to hopefully, towards the end of our time together, to surrender that lie, and say, that's just not right. So in order to do that, we're going to look at Levi. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, that would be great. If you don't have a Bible and you want to raise your hand, uh, my friend is going to give you a Bible. He would love to give you a Bible. Um, And if you don't own a Bible, that is yours to keep. Uh, But Luke chapter 5. Now if you read the context of what is happening in Luke 5, you see before this, uh, really Jesus' opinion of an outcast. Uh, Before this moment, Jesus calls some fishermen to be his disciples. And if that's not weird enough, we move on and Jesus touches, with his hands, touches somebody with leprosy, which is unheard of, and he heals them. And then after that, if that's not bad enough, he goes to a paralytic and he heals them. And it's all building up to this moment that we find in verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, in order to set the stage for what's happening here, you need to understand why people hated tax collectors. Um, It's April 8th. They're not our favorite people either, right? Okay? (laughs) We don't like them now. But but ours, our tax collectors would look like cake compared to Jesus' tax collectors. Uh, During that time, they would take about 50% of your wages. 50%. That means you work 40-hour weeks, yeah, you're only getting paid for 20 of them. That would suck, right? And so they would take 50% of your wages. So they were seen as thieves. But bigger than that, they were working for the Roman government. And so Jews were under Roman Empire oppression. And so basically, a Jew would go to the Roman Empire and say, I need a job. And he would basically betray all of his fellow Jews. So he, was, he had committed betrayal. He was stealing 
And then worse than that is that he started associating with people that weren't Jews. And so he was a backslider of faith. And so a lot of times when you read scripture, it will actually say there were sinners and tax collectors. Like, sinners are down here, and underneath there, there's an even worse crew (laughs) of tax collectors. And that's how bad they were. They were actually barred from experiencing any of Jewish religious events. Imagine somebody being so looked down upon that they weren't welcome at church. That's how hated they were. And that was this guy. He was the hated of the hated. Enter Jesus in Capernaum. And he sees this tax collector at a booth. And he says, essentially two words, follow me. And in like all of a sentence, he drops everything and follows him. And we can assume a couple things about this moment. We can probably assume that Levi and Jesus knew each other. Uh, Jesus was preaching in Capernaum, so uh, Levi probably knew about him. Jesus called him by name, so he probably knows Levi. But still, this begs the question. Like, when I read this this scripture, I thought, did I just miss something? (laughs) Like, you just said, follow me, and he just dropped everything and did it? Like, I want to know what happened. You know, I got people in my life that are very far from Jesus, really important people. And I want to go up to them and be like, follow Jesus. And then be like, I'm in, you know? Like, how does that happen? And so I want to look at this moment and unpack what happened that caused a man that was so rooted in culture, rooted in having material wealth, rooted in these things that he would drop everything and follow Jesus. So the first thing that we notice is that Jesus noticed Levi. Say that with me. Jesus noticed Levi. Uh, Verse 27, it says, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. The key word there, saw. He saw Levi. Now, you and I both know there are different ways of looking at people, right? You know, you look at your kids differently than you look at your friends. You know, you look at your spouse differently than you look at your boss. You know, you look differently at a stranger than you do a salesman. And if none of those are true of you, I can promise you that you look differently at a stranger than you look at the person in the center aisle at the mall trying to sell you something, right? All of a sudden, when there's somebody trying to sell me some tiny flying helicopter in the middle of the Citadel Mall, I can see everything but them, you know? (laughs) I am the most oblivious person in the world. And Levi's used to that. He is used to being seen by everybody, but not seen at all. Being seen, but absolutely invisible. And it's interesting, in this moment, that word saw is translated not just like a glance. It says, a calm, continuous contemplation. In other words, Jesus looked at Levi, and he saw him. He saw his brokenness. Uh, He saw uh, the hole in his life. He saw his material wealth. And that was just the present tense. He saw Levi's future. 
He saw Levi as a future recorder of the gospel. He saw Levi, the evangelist. He saw Levi how I hope I see people, with eternal worth and value. So you and I, we know Levi. We just know him by a different name, Matthew. As in Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, Matthew, the one who wrote the book of Matthew. Jesus looked at Levi, and he saw Matthew. And when you look at the the original meaning of the name Matthew, it means gift of God. Jesus looked at the most hated person, and he saw a gift of God. He looked at the person that was seen by everybody and invisible, and he saw a gift. You understand, like, this is what Jesus does. He sees the broken, actually sees them. And he would let unbelie- he would meet unbelievers where they were. He would see what people failed to see. Like, he would say, you know, they said they were sinners, I saw a sheep without a shepherd. They saw a social outcast. I saw an opportunity. They saw brokenness. He saw grace. And you got to check this out, because this is very interesting to me. Um, 132 times in Scripture, Jesus has interactions with another person, and we get to watch it. Like, he talks with somebody, and it's in Scripture. 132 times. Of those 132 times, six of those are in the temple. Six. Of those 132 times, four of those are in the synagogue. The other 122 happen in regular life. That's our God. That he walks into the regular moments, meeting people where they were. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, I don't resonate with the Pharisees. I resonate with Levi. I'm an outcast. I have been rejected. I have not been chosen. Hear this. Jesus sees you. He sees you. And maybe this morning you need to wrestle with the other side of this. If you're a Christ follower, you need to ask yourself, who do you look for in your life? You know, most people would have seen Levi and think like, eesh. That's a work. A lot of churches wouldn't be excited if Levi showed up because he wasn't respected. He wasn't accepted. He wasn't somebody that people sought out. And the Pharisees see Levi and Jesus' interaction. And they say, why would you stoop so low? Why would you associate with them? But listen, Jesus sees Levi And he sees Matthew. He sees the Matthew, the gift of God, within Levi. How do you see people? Second thing, he doesn't just notice him. Jesus invited Levi. Jesus invited Levi. That verse, it says, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Jesus does something here that no, no one has been doing. He invites him in. And not to like, 
he could have said, hey, you want to be the water boy for my disciples, you know? No, <laughs> he says, be one of my disciples. Be one of my closest followers and friends. And so Jesus not only notices him, he invites him in. Follow me, our words of choosing. They are words of saying, I choose you. And we all know what it, it feels like to be chosen, don't we? And if we don't, we know how it feels to not be. Uh, if you need a reminder of middle school gym class, here we go. <laughs> I, I can remember Mitchell, South Dakota gym class with those awful shorts and like the little logo in the corner of your t-shirt and everybody smells like B.O., you know, and, and you're sitting on the line and like sucking in your gut and pretending like you're super tall. And I can remember praying like, God, I don't care if I'm first, just don't let me be last, you know. And, and we all know what it feels like to not get chosen right away or to not get chosen at all. And Jesus, he looks at a guy who has never been chosen. He says, will you be my closest follower and my closest friend? Listen, the people around him were quick to see Levi as a problem. That's why they could ignore him. They were quick to label them and say, oh, he's just a tax collector. He's made his bed. Do we do that in our society? You know, I, I, I think it's fair to say that we have labels, they're just different. Uh, in our world, it might be the single mom, or in our world, it might be the divorced person, or the addict, or the alcoholic. It, it might be the person experiencing homelessness. It might be somebody of the LGBT community. It might be the prostitute or the sex offender, the person on welfare or the unemployed. Levi represents all of the people that we have abandoned. Or maybe, just maybe, kept walking by. Heads down. Because let's be honest, the labels are different but what, how we treat the labels are the same. Uh, we treat them as problems. We slap a label on them and we don't see them underneath the sticker. Uh, they're, they're what's wrong with the world. They're a drain on us. They're awful for our society. They don't deserve my recognition, but Jesus, see, he never saw a label. He only saw people. He only saw the person underneath. You want to know what happened in an instant in Levi's life is that he was suddenly looked at like he had worth. See, Jesus embraces the broken. He invites them in. Let me ask it this way. Who do you embrace? Uh, why in the world did Levi drop everything? Because Jesus saw him and he invited him in. He invited him closer. And the result is hilarious. Verse 29, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of, like, imagine this, many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Like, what? 
<laughs> like, let's take all of the people that everybody hates and let's have a party, you know? <laughs> Come on! And this isn't a moment where it's like, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand, we'll dim the lights. No! Levi's like, people, everybody, like, tax collectors, you got to see this guy. He looked at me like somebody has never looked at me before. And and it it goes to the specific piece of our faith that those who are embraced by Jesus tend to embrace others. When we experience this love and acceptance of Christ, we embrace others. Jesus looks at Levi, a man that is the most hated, a man that has made his bed. And he not only sees Levi, he doesn't only see Matthew. He sees all of Levi's tax collector's buddies hanging out over some pizza or whatever the, you know, equivalent is in their day, uh, (laughs) hanging over pita bread uh, with Jesus as the guest of honor. How powerful is that? It continues on. Because the Pharisees, man, they're going nuts, you know. (laughs) But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Like, you have to understand, Jesus was a rabbi, and he was on his way up the ladder. And he was performing miracles. He was teaching some pretty awesome things. People were starting to follow him. And in this moment, it all plummets. And they say, what in the world are you doing? Because Jesus chooses to do with the most hated people of society the most intimate thing that he could have done. He ate with them. And they say, why are you associating with such scum? And what happens is interesting. Because Jesus accepts sinners, the religious leaders don't accept Jesus. Because Jesus associates with some pretty ragamuffin people. (laughs) Jesus does not get accepted. And I think that we still do that today. Uh, Kyle Eidelman writes about this in Not a Fan. It's a wonderful book, but it says, it seems that over the years, the church has put an asterisk next to Jesus' invitation. The sign out front of the church says, we welcome anyone and everyone, but if you look real close, you'll find an asterisk. And it turns out that anyone means people who appear to have their lives together and don't have visible struggles. Who do we invite in? Do we invite in the folks that look like Levi? And that's, that's just in our church walk. Um, what about our personal lives? Do we have neighbors that we don't embrace because, man, they're just a nuisance and their house always smells like weed, you know? Do do we have uh, people that are related to us? Like, we don't really invite them over because, like, what if they bring their partner and that's going to be really uncomfortable for everybody? You know? Or is it a coworker that we see struggling all the time, but we don't invite them to church or talk to them about Jesus because they don't want to hear it? Jesus, in this moment, he invites Levi in in spite of everything, in spite of the opinions of others, in spite of maybe even his own hesitancies. And he says, come closer. Last thing, 
Jesus died for Levi. And like, I promise, I totally mean on the cross, but also, Jesus let his reputation die. He killed his status. Uh, he, he put his own desires on hold, and he offered his life in service of the least of these in this moment. What would it look like for us to let our reputation die at moments? To talk to the coworker that's so annoying. To walk across the room. Listen to this, verse 31. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. The reason Christ came to this planet is to save broken people. And like he would say in this moment, and I think that it's there, it says there are two kinds of people in this world, and we would be like really excited to say, you know, the unrighteous and the righteous. But he says, no, there are unrighteous that know they're unrighteous, and there are unrighteous that don't know they're unrighteous. They all need me. And he says, I have come for the people that they know that they're missing something. They know that they are not fulfilled. Jesus came for them. And so this morning, like, if you have a life that you lead and you're like, this is unfulfilling, this is not working, something feels wrong, Jesus came for you, specifically. He came to look at you right in the eyes and say, come closer. I love, love, love this, this quote by Robert Munger. It says, the church is the only fellowship in the world where the one requirement for membership is the unworthiness of the candidate. Why? Because Jesus came for sinners. Because Jesus came. So not only is this a lie that we have to get our act together in order to be at church, it's the opposite of the truth. It's the opposite of the truth. It says, you have to know that you're dirty. You have to know that you don't have it all together in order to be a part of this. You have to know that the sun doesn't rise and fall on you every single day. And the reason Levi dropped everything is because he knew he's his place. He saw the brokenness in his life and he knew he needed Jesus. The only people that can be saved are those who realize that they are lost. The church was never meant to be a hotel for saints. It was always meant to be a hospital for sinners. Like, guys, they let me in. Like, they let me do this. <laughs> it's okay for our lives to be a mess sometimes. And it's okay to come here and to say, yeah, I don't really know what's going to happen next week. I don't really know how I'm going to handle this. This church was never meant to be a moment when we could put on a facade and push through it. It was intended to gather around the name of Jesus for encouragement, for challenges, to live more like Christ. And so I want you guys to bow your heads and um, I want to ask you a couple things as we enter into a time of prayer and worship.
want to ask you, where is your Levi? Maybe, honestly, you'd say, it's me. Um, I have been rejected. I have felt like the outcast. And if that's you this morning, uh, I want to first challenge you to take that connection card from the seat back in front of you and fill it out and write on it, today I commit to follow Jesus, or even just, I need some prayer, uh, because I would love to be walking with you throughout all of this. Maybe your Levi is a little different, though. Maybe it's some people at work. Uh, Maybe it's a whole people group. Maybe it's some relatives. Maybe it's somebody that you see every single week. Lord, as, as we name our Levi's, God, I pray that that you would help us, that you would enable us to see them as you see them. Lord, that you would enable us to see a gift of God. Lord, even when in our weakness we label them as something different, Lord, can we teach them or treat them with worth? Lord, can we treat them knowing that you see the future of their lives, you see the friends that they have that need to know Jesus? Lord, would you open our eyes to see the Levi's in our everyday lives and to not just walk past, heads down, completely oblivious? Lord, the truth of the matter is, is that once we have seen them, we are held accountable for them. So God, I pray that all across this room, as you have brought people to mind, Lord, that we would not rest until they know who you are. God, we love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand.